start calling this the Monday evening quarterback on Jamal about sports starting it off with a little mid 90s I guess that's techno uh, I'm now obsessed with this song for some reason it's called uh, Scatman. Uh, it's funny it was on an episode of American Dad which is a Seth MacFarlane show that's kind of like Family Guy but a little bit different and then uh, on the second season of Master of None, which I spoke about last week, the Aziz Ansari show, uh, it's also referenced. I guess, maybe the, uh, I have to do some investigating. There may be some sort of an inside joke uh, about that song, or maybe just because he's of that age where that song was probably pretty popular when he was a teenager because it came out in 95. Anyway, big show to get to. Uh, all NFL all the time. We'll try to work some baseball in maybe at the end as uh, we look at uh, the playoffs coming up. Uh, but we begin... In the NFL, and we begin with my Lions on a very happy high note. An ugly win, but a win nonetheless. On the road in the division against the Vikings yesterday, 14-7 the final. And listen, if you would have told me before the game that Matt Stafford would not throw for a touchdown or reach 200 yards and the Lions would win, I would say you're crazy. Um, if you would have told me Amir Abdullah would get close to 100 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown, I would have told you you're crazy, but that ended up happening. Um, now, going into the game, I felt the Lions had a good chance because, frankly, Matthew Stafford's a better quarterback than Case Keenum. I know Case Keenum was coming off a big game and a big week uh, the week prior against Tampa, um, but Case Keenum's a backup quarterback for a reason. And the more guys who are backups play, the more they get exposed. Uh, yes, I understand he had a very good game against the Lions last year uh, when he was on the Rams. Lions still won that game, and uh, that was, frankly, a much different Lions defense last year than the Lions defense this year. Uh, three more turnovers forced for the Lions yesterday. That was pretty much the story of the game. I mean, look, the Lions were up 3 nothing. They gave up a touchdown late in the first half um, after... Miles Killebrew, who's had a great start to his season, the second-year safety out of Southern Utah, who I loved coming out of college and was thrilled when the Lions drafted him in the fourth round last year, um, had an interception in the end zone, uh, slip out of his hands, and, of course, the Vikings capitalized and scored a touchdown. I mean, that, that, is, that almost always is the case. When you, when you have a guy drops an interception in the red zone, the other team almost always scores a touchdown. I mean, I wish they charted stuff like that so we could see the statistics because uh, since I've been watching football, it seems like that always happens. Um, so when he dropped that, I mean, he made a great play on the ball. Uh, he was where he was supposed to be, went up, high-pointed it, hit him right in the hands. He had it for a second. I mean, you could see he was sick to his stomach that he didn't hold on to it, but uh, he played an otherwise phenomenal game. And, uh, you know, Glover Quinn just keeps doing what Glover Quinn does, which is make huge plays. He had to pick six the week before against Atlanta. Um, He punched the ball out on purpose yesterday after the Vikings had one last chance at it, needing a touchdown to score, a touchdown to tie the game. Lions obviously leading 14-7 in the last two minutes. Vikings were out of timeouts. Time was probably not an issue, though. They were at their own 45-yard line to start the drive. Uh, completes a pass over the middle. Adam Thielen. Glover Quinn intentionally punches the ball out from behind. Very Peanut Tillman-esque, if you will. Former great corner from the Bears. Uh, to here, Whitehead. Johnny on the spot. Recovers the fumble. That's it. Game, set, match. Lions 3-1. and one. All their wins are NFC wins or 1-0 in the division. First quarter of the season in the books, 3-1, and and they're an inch away from being 4-0. And you have to love the fact that coming off that crushing loss, that heartbreaking loss the week before, 
to the Falcons when it looked like they won the game and then only to be told that they had lost the game in the 10-second runoff, and we know, the whole nine yards. Um, they didn't blink. They didn't flinch. And dare I say, head coach Jim Caldwell deserves a ton of credit. Because while fans, myself included, would love to see, you know, you want that visceral, raw, emotional reaction from your coach because that's how you feel. But that's probably not the appropriate way for a head coach of a team to, to react, frankly. And so while, yeah, we would have gotten your, 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 as a fan, you get your pound of flesh as the coach rants and raves and screams at the officials after, you know, after the game or goes on, you know, the post-game Post the post game press conference and and rips the officiating. While there's there's a certain emotional satisfaction one derives from that as a fan, it's not the appropriate behavior for a head coach of a team. And as we've said many times on the show, the lines get screwed more than anybody. But Caldwell's position is: look, the game is over. There's, essentially, there's no use crying over spilt milk, and he's right because it's not going to change the way the, the the league treats the lines. That's just not going to happen. Okay, if it hasn't it hasn't happened yet. It's never happening. So push it aside, learn from it, move on. And they went on the road and beat a tough Vikings team in their place. And ton of credit, ton of credit to the coach. I mean, stars of the game: Glover Quinn, Anthony Zettel, who I was very high when the Lions drafted him in the sixth round out of Penn State last year. Two more sacks yesterday, four on the season, recovered a fumble. He's been tremendous. Um, Amir Abdullah, we mentioned, had a really nice game. Twisted an ankle late in that game. Looks like he should be fine. And listen, you know, the Lions had 14 turnovers all season last year on defense. Created, got 14 turnovers, fumble recoveries and interceptions. They have 11 already this year. And apparently it was a big... Uh, point of emphasis in the offseason a major focus of the coaching staff they've done they've incorporated and practiced uh, drills to help create turnovers and boys at work now look some of it is you know you get the bounce of the ball goes your way you know they had a couple interceptions last week against Atlanta that you know were tips off uh, receivers hands but hey I've seen plenty of games where the Lions uh, have thrown a ball that's clanged off a receiver's hands it's gone to the other team and been returned for a touchdown a uh, game against the Giants comes to mind in Jim Schwartz's last season in 2013 when that was the only way the Lions were going to lose that game is if they're literally if their offense handed the Giants a score, and they did. So you take them when you can get them. Uh, you know, as they say, no style points in the NFL, particularly for road wins. So just uh, a great great win in that respect. Now listen, Stafford did not play well yesterday. He was under duress. I mean, literally the first snap of the game he gets sacked. Uh, he Lions give up six sacks overall. Not Rick Wagner's best day. Um, Greg Robinson actually held up pretty well against Everson Griffin, who earlier in the week uh, publicly called him out and called him lazy. Uh, now he got a lot of help from Daniel Fells, their blocking tight end. But nevertheless, they made enough plays when they had to. And Miracle of Miracles, the Lions actually converted a two-point conversion. So that was nice. I actually, I thought it was too early to go for it at the time. It was still the third quarter. But really, the whole game changed when Dalvin Cook, unfortunately for him, blew out his knee, you know, running the ball. He's on his way to about a 10-yard gain. Uh, non-contact, you know, planted the leg, knee went out. And then Tavon Wilson, to his credit, perfect form tackle, head on the ball, forced the fumble to hear Whitehead again, Johnny on the spot recovered and then the Lions went and took it in for a touchdown. Last week they got a bunch of turnovers against the Falcons, didn't convert them into touchdowns. Yesterday they did. Now it was the only one, but that's all they needed. You'll take it. You'll take that all day long. So sets them up for uh, a big another big game this week at home against the now three and one Carolina Panthers. We'll get to them in a little bit. But a couple of big stories that I want to talk about a uh, little side story. So Steve Longa is a backup linebacker for uh, the Lions, former Rutgers product, undrafted free agent, makes his bones on special teams, doesn't play much as a linebacker, although the Lions had uh, some injuries at linebacker yesterday, so he played in the game. But what makes it notable is the fact that, unfortunately for him, really sad story, uh, his dad, um, who's only 55, uh, was, was hit by an SUV and killed earlier in the week. And so there was obviously, 
you know, understandably, some question as to whether or not he was even going to play the game. He opted to play the game. He thought it was the best thing. Thought it was what his dad would have wanted. Um, and so he played in the game. He actually saw some snaps on defense because one of their other linebackers, Paul Warlow, got hurt early in the game. And they were already without Jared Davis, uh, who didn't dress for the game, uh, still recovering from his concussion. And so he played some snaps early in the game, did his routine special teams work. Um, and uh, so after the game, very touching moment, Haloti Nada, who apparently lost both of his parents at a very young age, um, you could see he was choked up when he said it, uh, but they gave Steve Longa a game ball afterwards. And you could see he broke down, and the whole team gathered around him and hugged him. And it was, uh, it was just a really special, touching moment. Um, so that was uh, a nice story, um, you know, out of a really sad story. I'm getting a little choked up myself, frankly. Um, and then, uh, on a lighter note, uh, there's a guy who writes for a, a, a website called M Live, and if you're a Lions fan, or even if you're not, and you just want a good read about football and one of the more uh, eccentric personalities in football and a position that never gets talked about, long snapper, go online, Google Don F- Death Taxes and Don Freaking Muleback, which is M-U-L-B-A-A-C-H. He's the long snapper for the Lions. He's been with the Lions um, in, for 14 years. Uh, he has been there so long that, as a matter of fact, I remember the first time I ever knew who Don Muleback was, and this is, so, this is classic Lions, was when Joey Harrington was the quarterback for the Lions. And they were playing a game against the Vikings, and the Lions were down big in the game, and they mounted a furious comeback late in the fourth quarter. And Harrington throws a touchdown, I forget it, who it was, I think it was to Roy Williams, to you know seemingly tie the game. This is back when extra points were gimmies. Um, and Muehlbach was new to the team that year. I think it might have been his first week because the previous long snapper had gotten hurt, and uh, he dribbled the snap back to the holder, and the Lions couldn't get the extra point off and lost by one point. So instead of going into overtime you know, with a ton of momentum, they ended up losing the game because the long snapper couldn't snap the ball back uh, to the holder. And, of course, I was furious and wanted the guy cut. Well, 14 years later, he's the best damn long snapper in the league, uh, and he's quite the character, as this um, article points out. So uh, just a couple of side notes from this article. Um, The only reason he got into long snapping is because when he was in high school, his best friend was the punter, and so his punter was his ride home after school, and so he used to hang around and just start long snapping to the guy. Um, so that's how he kind of started doing it to begin with. Um, he's played in 199 games. Um, they say that he can throw the ball as hard as anybody on the team. He's like dislocates like you know the manager's fingers and stuff when they have catches. Um, let's see. He played his 200th game uh, yesterday, and uh, let's see. Yeah, here you go. Uh, he was 15 going into 10th grade. He couldn't drive, and the team's quarterback was his ride home, uh, and the quarterback was also the punter. And so his only chance to work on punting was after practice, which meant Muleback had a lot of time to kill before he could go home. Instead of sitting around, he figured he'd stay busy by snapping the ball to the quarterback slash punter. Day after day, hour after hour, snap after snap, punt after punt. Punter got really good, so Matt, uh, the punter got really good. That college coaches came around starting to scout him, and the guy eventually going to Texas. Um, so that's how Don Mulek even started becoming a long snapper. Um, but uh, he still has an iPod Nano, and he listens to the same 18 songs before every game uh, that he's done for the last uh, 14 years. Um, it's just it's it's a great story. It's a great article. Peter King even re- referenced it on his website, Monday Morning Quarterback today. Uh, apparently the guy's a little kooky, which I think you kind of have to be uh, to play in the NFL. But uh, just a really, really good article. Uh, the author is Kyle. I don't know how exactly to pronounce his last name, but it's spelled M-E-I-N-K-E. Uh, and Don Muleback, the long snapper for the Lions, who, by the way, has been tremendous, literally, ever since that one bad snap uh, that ended up costing him a chance to go to overtime. Uh, he's been great for them. So 3-1. Uh, big game coming up against Carolina, 
and uh, we'll go to that game, which was Carolina against New England. Uh, of course, I took New England in my uh, suicide pool, and of course, of course, the one time I take them, they lose. I mean, that's just classic. Um, so, you know, the only time I ever want the Patriots to win, of course, is when they lose. <laughs> uh, and New England's got some issues. They gave up another 30 points again yesterday. Their defense has gotten absolutely strafed so far to start the year. You know, uh, Kansas City lit them up. Um, Texans put a bunch of points on the board against them last week. Uh, and then again, of course, this week against... Um, Carolina, who had been really struggling on offense. I mean, Cam Newton had been playing awful for the first three, week, three weeks of the year, uh, and then they ended up winning 33-30. You know, listen, give the Patriots credit, their offense anyway. They were down two scores, ended up, of course, tying it late, uh, but they left too much time on the clock for Carolina, and Graham Gano ended up kicking a 48-yard field goal to win the game. Um but uh, kept alive, by the way, on an, uh, on an illegal contact penalty on one of the, I think it was on Stephon Gilmore. Uh, but that Patriots secondary looks awful right now. Tons of missed assignments. Guys running clear and free in the secondary. As you know, We saw it in week one uh, with Tariq Hill and, and Kareem Hunt and the, the rest of that Chiefs offense. Patriots have major issues right now on defense. Offense is fine. And as long as, you know, apparently as long as Brady is on two legs, it's always going to be fine. But uh, that defense has major issues. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, and of course Bill Belichick, known as the preeminent defensive mind in the game, um, it'll be interesting to see if they get that turned around. I mean, maybe when you just keep jettisoning your best defensive players, maybe eventually it catches up to you. I don't know. I mean, they discarded Chandler Jones like he was nothing. They got rid of Jamie Collins like he was nothing. Um you know, they let Logan Ryan go, the fine nickelback. Now, you know, Stefan Gilmore is a big ticket free agent signing from the Bills. He's a nice player. Uh, he's not Darrell Rivas in his prime. He's not Deion Sanders. You know, Malcolm Butler, I've been saying this for years. I understand he made the play in the Super Bowl. And I understand he's a nice little player. He is not an elite lockdown cornerback. He's just not. You know, Patrick Chung's a big hitter. He can't cover anybody. And again, Everyone forgets. Did they not remember the first three and a half quarters of the Super Bowl when the Falcons had their way with them and did anything they wanted until you know Mike Shan- uh, Kyle Shanahan got cute with the play calls and they stopped running Deonta Freeman and, and Tevin Coleman? Patriots should have lost that Super Bowl and, and by a lot. And their defense got crushed in that game. Now... Falcons' offense is really good. I know. I watched. I was all over their offense last year. I saw it firsthand last week against the Lions. I get it. But you know, all these geniuses had the Patriots going sixteen and zero because they got Brandon Cooks from the Saints, the speedy wide receiver, and Stephon Gilmore. How's that working out? And by the way, Patriots are lucky to be two and two. They should have lost to Texans last week too. They're lucky to be two and two. They should be one and three. That D-back for the Texans holds on that ball last week, that, that interception, game over. Next interesting game is St. Louis against Dallas. So St. Louis has been a bit of all the rage, right? Sean McVay, the 31-year-old coach with his perfectly George Michael sculpted beard and his good looks and his tan, and he's an offensive guru. Well, he, so far... You have to say that the early returns are pretty good. Uh, Todd Gurley, the stud running back out of Georgia, looks like a completely different player in this offense. Jared Goff, uh, who I still think was a reach at number one two years ago, but the quarterback out of Cal, looks like a completely different player in this offense. You know, uh, Tavon Austin, who for years, you know, they've been working to try to get him the ball, the little guy out of West Virginia. You know, who'd been a largely a disappointment so far in his career, starting to make plays. I mean, now they're getting Gurley involved in the passing game as he, you know, ripped through the Cowboys secondary and linebacking core yesterday. I mean, he he looks as good as Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Kareem Hunt. I mean, he looks as good as any of those guys. When, you know, the the his first couple of years in the league, he looked like a slow, plodding, three yards in a and a cloud of dust kind of running back. It's amazing what sort of an innovative and forward-thinking offense can do. And, I mean, listen, 
I'll be the first to admit it. I got fooled by thinking Jeff Fisher was a good head coach for a long time. I mean, you know, if this is for real, now let's, you know, we've got to pump the brakes a little bit here on the Rams. They were 3-1 and one to start the season last year, too. But this team has a whole completely different look and feel. Completely different. Now, the defense isn't great. It has some big names. It's not great. You know, they did give up 30 points yesterday. They gave up a ton of points to Brian Hoyer and the 49ers, and we're lucky to win that game. So, I'm not, let's not get crazy. But their offense certainly is a thousand times better than it ever was under Jeff Fisher. And as far as the Cowboys are concerned, you know, Zeke had a pretty good game. Prescott had a pretty good game. And they still lost. You know, that would, that would be concerning to me. Now, again, I don't think Dallas' defense is that good. I know Demarcus Lawrence off to a great start, going up against some bad offensive tackles. He's had a lot of sacks, six and a half, I believe, to start the year. Um... You know, but, you know, I don't think Dallas' defense is that great. I mean, Sean Lee's a really good player. I know he didn't play yesterday. Um, you know, Orlando Scandrick's a nice player. Um, you know, Nolan Carroll, eh. You know, there's a reason he, like, the Cowboys are like his fourth team. You know, he's one of these size, speed guys. Believe me, I know. He played at Maryland. I, I know a lot about Nolan Carroll. And, you know, he gets called for a ton of penalties because he's one of these guys that, you know, he's pretty good in coverage, but he never gets his head around for the ball. And he plays very aggressively. Um, so that would be concerning if I was Dallas. And the best part, of course, yesterday is after the game, Jerry Jones. I mean, you got you got to love Jerry Jones, don't you? It's cute when Jerry Jones pretends that he knows something about football. So he tried to sort of, I guess, in a backhanded way, pay Wade Phillips a compliment by saying he was the main reason why St. Louis won that game yesterday. Jerry, you know, because he's the defensive coordinator now for the Rams. You know, the same Wade Phillips, by the way, that Jerry couldn't wait to get run out of town when he was the head coach for the Cowboys. But now all of a sudden he's a genius. And he tried to attribute Wade Phillips' influence as the defense coordinator for the Broncos as to why they won the Super Bowl two years ago, which is accurate, right? Peyton Manning was at the end of his rope as a player, and the Denver defense is what carried them to that to the into the Super Bowl and with the Super Bowl win. But it seems a little disingenuous, and now all of a sudden Jerry's a big Wade Phillips guy. I mean, you couldn't wait to run him out of Dallas, and apparently he was the big difference in the game yesterday. Except that their defense gave up thirty points, so I don't know that that's necessarily true. I would say probably Todd Gurley was the big difference in that game. Uh, with his 130 yards rushing or whatever it was. And his, uh, as a matter of fact, here, we'll go to uh, go to the box score for that game. But he had a long, I know he had a long catch and run for uh, a touchdown. And he also had, just bear with me one second. Oh, wait. And by the way, get ready. Just get ready for, well, I guess what, it'll be a Geico commercial or something like that will happen. Let's see. Gurley had 23 carries for 120 yards, um, and then he also receiving, which was never supposed to be his bag, but he also had seven catches for 94 yards. So there you go. And the ad kind of came on, but I was able to, to avoid avoid it. Let's see. What, it, what What's it for? Oh, that's right. Guess what? I don't care. Um, so Gurley had a huge game. I mean, over 200 yards total offense. He was pr- he was pretty much a difference in that game. Cooper Cup, who AG and I liked a lot coming out of the draft, five catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. You know, Goff was pretty good. 21 for 36, 255, two touchdowns, a big thing, no picks, and only one sack. And Prescott played well. I mean, 250 yards passing, three touchdowns, did throw a big interception. He also ran for 50 uh, for um, – Let's see. I'm gonna, oh, click the wrong thing. He also ran uh, twenty for twenty-five yards. Whatever, not a big deal. Uh, they got a big long run out of Alfred Morris. You know Zeke again, decent day on the ground, eighty-five yards rushing. He also contributed in the passing game, which he does a lot. Fifty-four yards and a touchdown. He had two touchdowns. Again, that would be the thing that would would concern me is that Dallas's big guys showed up yesterday. Prescott, Elliott. Des Bryant had, uh, you know, five catches, 98 yards, and he still lost, and it was a home game. Now, they had a couple of bad drops. Terrence Williams had a couple of bad drops in that game. 
Um, but, uh, you know, again, last year was a magical year for the Cowboys. Everything went right. You know, and listen, a lot of, lot of games left. I get it. Uh, but they're two and two, and it looks like it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a, could be a bit of a slog for them. It's not going to come as easy as things came for them last year, that's for sure. Um, the other games that caught my eye yesterday: Houston, Tennessee. I mean, Houston put up fifty-seven points yesterday against Tennessee. I guess, I guess the Jamal about sports curse uh, was in full effect, right? Didn't I talk up Tennessee the other day? And talk about Mike Malarkey and watch out for Tennessee. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I nailed that one, didn't I? I mean, again, it's early. They're still two and two. Um, everyone in that division is, you know, Houston's two and two, Tennessee's two and two. Colts are, I believe, what one and three after they got pasted last night. On uh, by the way, why why the Col- well, I know why because they thought Andrew Luck would be playing. That's why. Um, but in any event. Uh, Deshaun Watson had himself a pretty nice game. 283 yards passing on 25 for 34, four touchdowns. Uh, also ran for a touchdown, which begs the question, what the hell was Bill O'Brien thinking when he didn't have Deshaun Watson start the year and had Tom Savage starting the year? When Watson looked good in the preseason, and I get it, you can't go only by the preseason, but again, this guy had a great body of work in college. I don't understand... You know, what? why such skepticism around a guy who, by all accounts, is a great kid, hard worker, tons of physical ability, and got his team the national championship two, two seasons in a row and beat Alabama in Nick Saban defense and put up big numbers against him. So, listen, at least he made, give Bill O'Brien credit. He didn't dilly-dally, right? He, he pulled Savage, I believe, after halftime of the first game of the year. So at least he did that, unlike the Bears, who are waiting till now to put Trubisky in over Mike Glennon. But uh, big win for Houston. You know, they easily could be 3-1. and one. Um, And then you know what? Uh, at the request of my man, Anthony Satira, we'll talk a little bit about the Jets. Now, my man, Anthony Satira, is about as big a Jets fan as there gets. And he's he's pretty he's pretty you know objective, but he is all fired up, and I can understand that because you know look a lot of people are saying the Jets were going to go in sixteen. First of all, again, uh, only one team could ever go on sixteen. Only one team has gone on sixteen, and that's the Lions, of course. Uh, the Jets weren't going on sixteen. Uh, I probably, you know, I think I said they're probably going to win three or four games. Well, they're already gotten two. They beat Jacksonville yesterday in overtime, twenty three twenty, in a very weird game. And so I get it. He's 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 chirping a little bit. He's crowing a little bit because people, you know, they're saying suck for Sam. By the way, suck for Sam. Sam Darnold and my man Justin pointed this out to me in a text. He claims. Uh, Rosen, much better player than Darnold. He lives out there in Southern California, so he sees these guys a lot. Um, and he equated it similar to the Manning-Leaf thing. I don't think Darnold's going to be quite as bad as Ryan Leaf, who never really had a career. Um, and I'm not, as you know, a huge Rosen guy. But um, Darnold did not play well uh, Friday night in that game against Washington State. Now, look, when Washington State's good, Pullman's a tough place to go play. Uh, to be fair to him, I think they were down three of their top offensive tackles, two starters and the top backup. Um, and Washington State ended up winning late in that game. But, you know, he has not looked great to start the year, Sam Darnold. So uh, this idea that teams are going to tank for this guy is idiotic. Uh, and same, by the way, for Josh Rosen. I mean, again, he's had some some big moments this year. He's also made some terrible throws. Uh, cost them the game against Memphis. You know, should have cost them the game against AM. and um, So my point is, I'm not saying neither of these guys could be good NFL quarterbacks. They could be. I need to see a lot more from them. But the idea that teams are going to tank for one of these guys, and by the way, and then the third guy is Josh Allen, the quarterback out of Wyoming, who's been awful. And I'm sorry. I don't care what kind of numbers a guy. I'm not taking the, the top pick in the draft, the guy from Wyoming. I'm sorry. I just can't. I just can't do it. Just can't do it. 
UCLA, yeah. USC, yeah. Not Wyoming. Sorry. I don't care how good the kid supposedly is. I know that sounds dumb, but it's Wyoming. They don't play anybody. Anyway. So, Jets-Jackson, I digress. Jets-Jacksonville game, I mean, it was a weird, crazy game. You know, you had the, the Bilal Pal 75-yard touchdown run on a play where it looked like he was tackled. The whole Jacksonville team thought he was tackled, so everybody stopped playing. And then he got up. He, like, dove over Telvin Smith. It looked to me like Telvin Smith touched him, but apparently he didn't. And give Bilal Pal credit. He kept going. Guess he didn't hear a whistle. And shame on Jacksonville for standing around looking like a bunch of dopes. So it should have been about a 10-yard run turned into a 75-yard touchdown run. Uh, my guy, Elijah McGuire, um, who I loved coming out of the draft from um, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, running back, had a 69-yard touchdown run. So the Jets got two huge uh, big run touchdowns in a run game. Uh, so seemingly had the game in hand, leading 20-10. to 10, And then the Jets did jet ball with uh, a, like a swing pass out of the backfield to Bilal Powell. Wasn't looking for it. It turned out it was a lateral. Miles Jack alertly scooped it up and took it 80 yards for a touchdown the other way. I mean, it just, you know, look, it, I, I get it, Jets fans. You're happy. You're, 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 you're you know, putting it in, in the so-called experts' faces. I get it. it it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let, let's not get crazy. And it's still Blake Bortles. Okay, you still gave up five sacks. You still got had 10 penalties for 70 yards. Okay, you had three fumbles. You got lucky you only lost one of them. You know, your quarterback threw an interception. Uh, let's not get crazy. And if any team was ripe to lose yesterday, it was Jacksonville after shockingly blowing out the Ravens the week before in London, although we're still not quite sure that that game actually happened. So I get it. Look, you've exceeded all expectations at 2-2. Two and two. Crow if you want. Um, but probably the best thing for the Jets is to go about 6-10 and 10 or 5-11 and 11 and have a fairly high draft pick because uh, there is a ton of talent still missing on that team. Now, there's some nice young pieces there, right? The two safeties, Adams and May, look pretty good. I get it. Claiborne has played well, although he will get hurt at some point because he always does. Um, you know, the D-line, Leonard Williams is really good. I, I get it. You know, Fournette, they did a decent job on 86 yards, but it took him 24 carries to get there. Uh, he also had four catches for 59 yards. He unexpectedly has looked very good in the passing game, You know, which also begs the question. I understand that LSU just lost to Troy at home, and so maybe the Les Miles era is looking even better and better. But what the hell were they doing with Leonard Fournette at LSU? They never threw him the ball. And he's proven himself to be a very capable receiver early in his career, and he was easily their best offensive player. So, listen, good for the Jets. Two and two. You know, again, you beat Jacksonville at home. You beat the Dolphins, who are awful. I mean, that game yesterday against the Saints at 9.30 in the morning, because it was in London, was one of the most hideous football games I have ever seen. And were it not for a garbage-time touchdown last week against the Jets, the Dolphins would have gone two full games now without scoring a touchdown. I'm sorry. I remember somebody saying something about Jay Cutler being a disaster for the Dolphins because he didn't really want to play. He was supposed to be an announcer, and now he's coming out of retirement because the Dolphins threw $10 million at him. Someone said that. Some I don't know. I, I, I could have sworn somebody said that. I mean, that, that game was so ugly yesterday. There's a pen, in the first half, there's literally a penalty called, I think, on every play. I mean, it, either on the Saints or the Dolphins. It was ridiculous. Hideous. I mean, even the announcers were like, this is, this is ridiculous. And the Saints kind of got it together at least a little bit in the second half. And at least they looked like a, a reasonable facsimile of an NFL team. The Dolphins sure didn't. I mean, that was awful. But let's keep playing these games in London in week three and four for whatever reason. It's a great idea. Fantastic. I mean, that game yesterday set the sport back by like 30 years. It was awful. All right, a couple other interesting games. Listen, not that it was that great a game, Arizona-San Francisco, but notable for the fact that Larry Fitzgerald caught the game-winning touchdown, and that guy is just a wonder. 
I mean, he just keeps on going. He's still productive. What is he, like 35 years old now? Still makes big plays. You know, class act all the way. Um, you know, one really one of the truly great players uh, that I've seen since I've been watching football. So kudos to him. Um, oh, and then the other big upset for the of the day yesterday was Atlanta losing at home to Buffalo. Give new uh, head coach Sean McDermott some props there. Um, and again, I think I, I'm pretty sure somebody said that Buffalo is not that bad. Pretty sure somebody said them trading Sammy Watkins was not that big a deal. And again, I get it. It's early, but they're 3-1. and one. Pretty sure somebody said that their defense is much more, their personnel is much more suited to a 4-3, the kind of defense Sean McDermott ran when he was with Carolina, than Rex Ryan's dopey 3-4. And guys like Jerry Hughes are much more suited to be pass rushing defensive ends, who had a big sack fumble yesterday that turned into a touchdown. So Bill's playing very well on defense. Tyrod Taylor doing enough on offense. Shady McCoy doing enough on offense so far. Big win in Atlanta. Atlanta, by the way, easily could be one and three. Lucky to beat the Bears. Lucky to beat the Lions. But they're three and one. And look, I think Atlanta's a good team. Don't get me wrong. And to be fair, Mohamed Sanu got hurt early in that game. Julio Jones, more importantly, got hurt early in that game. So when they were when the Falcons were driving for the game-winning touchdown. Matt Ryan didn't have either of those guys. And also, the sack fumble that was returned for a touchdown looked to me like it was an incomplete pass. I was surprised that it it held up. They called it on the field, a fumble and and a touchdown return for the Bills. But then after a review, it looked like his arm was going forward, but they upheld the call on the field. So, um... You know, listen. The Falcons, I don't think are going anywhere. I think they're going to still. They they have too much talent on offense as long as they're healthy, and they've got enough playmakers on defense. But um, and again, it was only their first loss of the year, but it was definitely an upset. Nobody expected the Bills to go into Atlanta and beat them. All right, let's get to the picks for the week. So pretty good week. We went two and one. Uh, first game we'll talk about is New York Tampa Bay. And to my Giant fan friends, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. I really, You guys know I have no ill will towards the Giants. Uh, I really thought they were going to flat out win that game. I mean, they did end up covering. The spread was three. They lost, what, 25-23. Again, showed some good things, but also too many mistakes. Um, I thought they got screwed on the two-point conversion call to Beckham because the guy clearly pushed him out of bounds, out of the back of the end zone. So while that's the right call that you've got to come back in and establish yourself, uh, why do you think he went out of, out of the back of the end zone in the first place there, back judge? You think he just did it just for, for, for fun? No. The D-back, I think it was Brent Grimes, clearly shoved him out of bounds, past the five yards. So there should have been a penalty. Now, there was another penalty. on the. There was also a holding penalty there on the Giants. So at worst, it should have been offsetting penalties. The Giants should have had another crack at going for two. But they didn't. Now, because Beckham did catch it, and it was... He, and he was in bounds when he caught it. But, again, it's that rule where if you go out of bounds, you've got to reestablish yourself first if you're the first person to touch the ball. So um, I thought they got screwed there. But, look, Landon Collins, who's a really good player for the Giants, the safety, he had a bad game yesterday. You know, he gave up the touchdown to Bray, and then biggest play in the game, the Giants defense has a chance to get off the field on third down, you know, he lets Bray run right by him again and, uh, you know, catch a long pass on third and whatever it was. And that pretty much essentially sealed the game. I mean, this is an ugly game. Giants missed the kicker, missed the field goal. Uh, Nick Folk missed two field goals and an extra point. I mean, the, listen, Tampa Bay did everything in their power to keep the Giants in that game. I mean, it was 13 nothing. should have been about 21 nothing. They missed an extra point early, missed a field goal. So probably should have been... You know, let's say 17 nothing. it was 13 nothing. So not 21, but probably should have been 17 nothing. Give the Giants credit for the fact that Tampa Bay left the door open and the Giants came through the door. But again, they couldn't finish. So back-to-back weeks now, they've lost on essentially game, you know, on game-ending field goals. Um, which 
is brutal. And clearly, you know, the one last week against the, the Eagles, 61 yards is ridiculous. You know, yesterday's Tampa Bay drove all the way down and, you know, made it a fairly easy kick. It was like a 33-yarder. Although, by the way, Folk almost missed that one, too. His first two misses were to the right, so he overcompensated and he almost hooked this one. He just snuck through. But the Giants were also offsides on the play. So had he missed, they would have had another shot at it. Um, so, listen, too, still too many sloppy things for the Giants. Um, they got some a nice performance out of Wayne Gallman, a running back out of Clemson, fourth-round pick. Also begs the question, where, is, where was he the first three weeks of the year? But uh, he looks like he could be a player. Runs hard, breaks tackles, can catch the ball out of the backfield. Caught a touchdown yesterday. Evan Engram had a very nice game for the Giants yesterday. And listen, I say this. I know I give OBJ a lot of grief. And, I, you know, he's on my, you know, he's the captain of my impossible to root for all-stars. Uh, the guy is a gamer. I mean, a guy, you could tell he's really gutting it out on this bad ankle. And he had a nice game again yesterday for the Giants and did everything he could uh, to try to help them win. But, you know, this defense that is good but is supposed to really be the strength of the team hasn't shown up now two weeks in a row with a chance to seal the game and get off the field with a lead. They haven't done it. And I understand 0-4 is about as bad a hole as it gets. Last team to make the playoffs starting 0-4, the San Diego Chargers in 1992, coached by a friend of the show, Bobby Ross. So, listen, the Giants have dug themselves a major hole. I said it last week on Friday. I thought they were going to get this win, get to 1-3. and three. I think the Redskins will lose tonight against Kansas City. Dallas is 2-2. Two and two. The Redskins lost in 2-2. Two and two. Philly, I get it's 3-1. and one. But they're not world, you know, they're not a juggernaut. Good team. And Jim Schwartz has that defense playing really well. But certainly beatable. You know, 1-3... and three, to 3-1, and one, not the end of the world. Certainly, division would still be in your sights. A lot of football left. 0-4, oh, now you really dug yourselves a hole. But, as far as the picks are concerned, we won because they were getting three. And they covered. Second game was probably the lock of the week. Why I didn't take Cincinnati in my suicide pool, I should have my head examined. Like a dope. I didn't. I took New England. But, Cincinnati rolled all over Cleveland. They were laying three. I thought that was the lock of the week. They won 31-7, if not for a a late garbage-time touchdown by the Browns. That would have been a shutout. The Browns are simply just a wretched football team. They're awful. I mean, their defense yesterday was so bad. Now, again, Cincinnati was due for a good offensive performance. They had kind of a good one against Green Bay the week before. They've got too many weapons on that offense to, to be as bad as they were the first two weeks. They already fired the offensive coordinator, we know. Um, but, I mean, they, they, they scored on a touchdown on a screen pass to Gio Bernard. Literally nobody on the Browns laid a, a finger on the guy. And, I mean, and it wasn't like, I mean, the, the line got out and did a nice job with the blocks. But, I mean, half of the time they didn't even have anybody to block. And it wasn't like a, a throwback, big trick play or anything like that. It was just There was just nobody there. Browns look terrible. Just terrible. It's going to be a long slog. I mean, years and years and years of mismanagement. And bad draft picks, it's going to take a while for the Browns to get competitive again. And I understand it's maybe not fair, but I just I do not think Deshaun Kaiser is the answer, the quarterback out of Notre Dame. But you may as well go with him for the rest of the year as long as he's healthy. I mean, you have nothing else to lose. They're 0-4. They're going nowhere. You may as well see if the kid can play and see if he can develop a chemistry with Njoku, the tight end from Miami, if Corey Coleman could ever stay healthy, the receiver out of Baylor, you know, Isaiah Crow is a decent running back, but I mean, the guy has never has any room to go anywhere because teams just load up the box to stop the run. And that O-line, even though they put a lot of money into it, I don't think is very good. So we won that game. And then third game, uh, Pittsburgh-Baltimore, we lost and lost badly. Uh, Baltimore, by the way, last two weeks has looked atrocious. Flacco has played some terrible football. I believe yesterday was maybe the 10th or 11th week in a row now that he's thrown an interception. Um, let's go to the box score yesterday. 
It's 31 for 49. So first of all, he's throwing the ball 49 times. And they were down early, so that's why they had to throw the ball that much. I mean, they only ran the ball by running backs 15 times. That's Baltimore likes to run more than that. He threw two more picks yesterday. Let's look at his numbers so far on the year. I think they are not good. Let's see. Flacco so far in four games. Uh, hold on. All right. He's thrown one, two, four, six interceptions in four games. I mean, you, you can't have that against four touchdowns. That ain't getting it done, son. You know, quarterback rating of 65, completing about 62% of his pass. I mean, they're just, the, the, the Ravens' offense has just been bad, flat out bad. You know? And look, I knew the Steelers were poised for a bounce back after their bad loss to the Bears. In overtime the week before. But I thought, you know, division game on the road in Baltimore. Baltimore coming off the embarrassing loss against Jacksonville. I gave you all the reasons why I like Baltimore. Well, they, they just didn't show up yesterday. They kind of made it a game a little bit late. You know, I mean, Pittsburgh was up 26 nothing. Sorry, 16, 19-0. nothing. Baltimore cut it to 19 to 9 and had the ball with a chance to score, you know, and get it to a field goal game and Flacco threw a crushing interception. And then Pittsburgh scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter to, to salt it away. Uh, but Baltimore looks awful right now. Again, a lot of football left. They've got a good pedigree. Coach's a good coach. You know, we'll see. And I mean, they're 2 and 2. It's not the end of the world. Pittsburgh's 3 and 1. They're 2 and 2. Plenty of football left. Cincinnati is not dead at 1-3. and three. I mean, that Green Bay game was a crushing loss. They'd, of course, love to be sitting there at 2-2. Two and two, But there's just so much football left. I mean, look, thrilled with the Lions. I have to say this feel, it feels like a different – there's a different feel to this team. You know, before, especially last year, right, basically Stafford did everything. They won nine games. Eight of them were fourth-quarter comebacks led by Stafford. You know, no running game to speak of last year. Not a particularly good defense. And yet, he, he authored eight fourth-quarter comebacks for them. That hasn't been the case so far this year. They've won two road games already. Now, I get it. Competition hasn't been great, right? It's an 0-4 Giants team. Arizona, 2-2. Two two. But, you know, the Vikings are 2-1 coming off of lambasting of everybody's darling Tampa Bay, and we just beat them. It's a different feel. It's not, this seems very much, there's not a lot of flash to this team so far. I mean, the offense really has not clicked yet. Looked good at times against Arizona. Couple of plays here and there against the Giants. Couple here and there against the Falcons, but not great. And really, the, the, the offensive passing game was, was MIA yesterday, and they still got it done. In years past, that would never happen. So there is a different feel. And, by the way, they also are getting it done with backups on defense right now. They were already at full strength. Ziggy Ansah is playing with a bad knee. They're missing their starting middle linebacker, Jared Davis. So, very business, very workmanlike approach to this team. And, again, I think they are taking on the personality of the head coach. I never thought I'd be saying this. Now, of course, we'll see what happens when the Lions have a big lead and, and Caldwell goes into his shell and does his, you know, super conservative routine and it ends up costing the Lions a game. Well, I'll probably be singing a different tune. All right, quick look at uh, baseball before we wrap up the show here. Um, so we've got Yankees. Twins tomorrow. Miguel Sano, who's probably the Twins' best hitter, has been hurt for the, like the last three weeks. May be coming back tomorrow. They're not sure. Um, that would obviously give him a big boost. He's a really good power hitter. But clearly the Yankees, you know, prohibitive favorites in that game for sure. Um, and then let's see. Then the winner of that game, that one-game playoff, then has the uh, – Gets the privilege of going to play 
the Indians. So Yankee game tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. Then the NL wild card one game play-in is Wednesday night at 8. Colorado versus Arizona, my my worst nightmare. Two, Two teams I barely even acknowledge as being major league teams. From their terrible uniforms to the places they play and everything in between. Um, and then in the ALDS starts Thursday, Boston at Houston. It's going to be Chris Sale probably against Verlander. And you've got Irvin Santana versus Severino. We've been talking about that for a week. Certainly that matchup favors the Yankees. Got to keep your eye on for the Twins in this game. Tomorrow night, Joe Maurer. Former superstar, had a pretty good year for the Twins. Um, but he's one of these guys that you like in a playoff game. He's a grinder. He grinds at bats out. He fouls pitches off. He's a contact hitter now. He's not the big power hitter he used to be. He had a pretty good year. Let's go to the stats sheet here and see how Joe Maurer finished up the season. Uh, okay, you know, he had a better year than I thought. So. You know, 36 doubles, one triple, seven home runs only, but 71 RBIs. He walked 66 times, only struck out 83, which in today's baseball is like, you know, it's like Ted Williams back in the day or, you know, Pete Rose. Hit 305 and had an 800 OPS. He had a good year. We've talked about Brian Dozier before. He finished with 34 and 93. And again, if they can get Miguel Sano back, I mean, he had 28 home runs and 77 RBIs and only 424 at-bats. I mean, he missed a lot of time. He played 114 games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the Twins get absolutely steamrolled and if Irvin Santana, or if Irvin Santana can keep the uh, Twins in the game. And again, winner of that goes on to play the Red Hot Indians. And then the winner of Colorado, Arizona will play the Dodgers and the Cubs will play the Nationals. So, listen, great time of year for sports, pro football, college football, baseball playoffs. Even the NBA is right around the corner. We've got some preseason games starting. And uh, didn't really talk about the Carmelo trade. My two cents, good riddance, addition by subtraction. Thrilled that he's gone. They got my man Anis Cantor, who I talked about all season last year when I was talking about OKC and Russell Westbrook, who, while he's not a very good defensive player, uh, you want points and rebounds from your center, you're going to get them from him. And he should be a nice addition off the bench to pair with Willie Hernan Gomez. And I think the Knicks, at the very least, will be fun to watch this year. I really do. All right, that is it. As always, thanks for listening. Check me out on iTunes, Twitter, at Jamal about Sport No S. Check me out on Facebook. We'll be back on Friday with another edition of Football Friday for Jamal about Sports. Until then, peace out.